Welcome to Finest Work Songs. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Matt. I'm the other host. And coincidentally, my name is also Matt. Certainly, you have been on Pins and Needles since our last release of episode one, which was about REM's Automatic for the People, as well as many other topics. All the things you would think about being addressed when you're talking about Automatic for the People, like Billy Ray Cyrus. Naturally. Mule Days. Oh, man, I forgot about Mule Days. <laughs> How can you forget about Mule Days? So what do we do on this podcast, Finest Work Songs? What is this all about? It's our opportunity to, to reminisce and talk about and celebrate some of the albums that we love through the years. Uh, it's a chance to you know, debate these albums, talk about their merits, the, the pros, the cons, uh, and, and really the reasons why you should want to listen to these albums as well. And we have a special album for you today. It's one that you may know if you grew up as a teenager in the 90s or if you have an affinity for whiny alternative rock. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that narrows it down. Yeah, that's true. It's the one, the only, Billy Corgan's masterpiece. Tumbawamba. No. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> All right, let's do it again. Siamese dream. A monster of an album, and if you were barely paying attention to your radio and MTV in 1993-1994, you were going to come across this album and, and many of these songs. They were ever present. Now, some of you may be too young or too old to know about this album. Or too stupid. Yeah. Or too Amish. <laughs> this is Siamese Dream, released in July of 1993. Once grunge opens that alternative door, the record companies are just robbing banks to get you in the studio. and So they gave Billy Corgan carte blanche just to do whatever he wanted. Yeah, I remember reading, I can't remember if it was Rolling Stone or Billboard or you know one of those trade publications of the time, uh, really had Smashing Pumpkins pegged as the next Nirvana, which is a really big moniker to, to live up to at that time. But also in retrospect, seems a little odd because to me, like as time has gone on, I don't necessarily think of them as being like the same type of band. They didn't even sound like Nirvana. Right. I mean, and even, even you know, Pearl Jam, you know, as, as years have gone by, they, they seem to me as more of a traditional rock band versus like a grunge act. And Smashing Pumpkins does not sound to me like grunge. Too polished. It's too, too melodic to be grunge. They seemed more the darlings of alternative rock. Kids, back then, there were so many labels. Well, there's probably a ton of labels now, too. But back then, there was, you know, grunge and alternative in college. Mm-hmm. And modern rock. Modern rock, yeah. Which is kind of a catch-all. And then there's Bobby Brown, who, as we all know, is in a category all oh, by himself. Totally. But let's talk a little bit about Smashing Pumpkins. This is a four-piece led by frontman Billy Corgan. And kids, if you are just looking up Billy Corgan right now, He might look a little off-putting, but Google Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream, and you'll see a much more pleasant, smiling, haired 
<laughs> Billy Corgan. Right. When you think about the other people in the band, they all had like longer hair now that I think about it. That's yeah. probably why he was so cranky. The bass player, Darcy, had this luscious blonde hair. James Eha had some lovely locks. Yes. He had that dark black split down the middle, framing mm-hmm. his face. You really, you really but, paid a lot of attention. Well, I just, you know. Research. Was, yeah. And then Jimmy Chamberlain on the drums also had long hair. So, And Billy, I mean, let's be honest, he's got a bit of a high forehead. He didn't have a forehead. He had an eight head. <laughs> I wish I could say I came up with that now, but I didn't. It was in college, and we were in the cafeteria. And you know, there's just fun times in the cafeteria. Oh, yeah. And one of my roommates, sorry, Chad, had pointed out this girl that he liked. And I said, man, she's got a huge forehead. She's got an eight head. <laughs> and uh, poor Chad. He didn't date anybody in college. so Oh, man. I sure didn't help that by mocking anybody that he liked. I apologize to everyone who I was unkind to. <laughs> but the other thing, like now that I think about Nine, 1993, 1994, that was like peak bald white rock star time. Oh, yeah? Because you've got Billy Corgan. Right. That's a, right about the time Michael Stipe goes bald. Yeah. You know, Ed Kowalczyk from the band Live. That's right. They were huge at this time. They were huge. And he was also bald. I mean, that's three guys. That, that, that's a data point, right? I mean, right. That, that totally validates what I just said. It was peak, bald, white rock star yeah. time. You proved three your point. Three guys. You proved your point. Yeah, thank you. So that's the band. You got two guitars, bass, and drums. Pretty standard. Their sound is a lot bigger than that, as you will hear. This album came at a time when Matt and I were both in high school. Matt, when did you first hear Siamese Dream? So, let's see, if it came out in July of 1993, I would have just graduated high school. But what's interesting, as I think about Siamese Dream, maybe my sophomore year of college, so you know, ni- 1994 into 1995, and I just have these distinct memories of playing this album pretty much nonstop in my dorm room. Um, while my my roommate Michael Olson, what's up, Michael, uh, would play Doom uh, on oh his computer uh, a lot, and he was really good at Doom. He was really good at lots of things. He's like a nuclear engineer or something now. But we would. This was one of the albums that we played just all the time. This was a mainstay, day. definitely a mainstay. So, what about you? What what what's your memory of Siamese Dream, circa 1993, early 1994? So I was in high school. I graduated a year after you in 94. So it was my senior year. There was one day in particular that I was homesick. That's never good. I got a call from my best friend. This guy wanted to skip school and go into the city. I was like, man, I am actually really sick. So no thanks. But he insisted. And then somehow he convinced me to call the school and pretend to be his girlfriend's dad. Which is super weird. That's not a good friend. No. In fact, now as I'm telling the story, I feel like, was this guy even my friend at all? But I did. I called the school, and then apparently I didn't do it right because he slapped me. That that should have been it right there. That should have been a that should have been a clue. But it wasn't because then he wanted to use my dad's car. Man, that sounds like a really bad idea. But also, my dad had like this super old sports car. I mean, it had to be worth, like, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Wow. 
we did we took the we took the car into the city and left it at this sketchy parking lot and we had a pretty good day but honestly halfway through i realized that the whole day was about him just trying to make out with his girlfriend mm. and so then we we get back home and then realize that you can't undo miles on the speedometer i don't know if you knew that i didn't know I, that but i didn't know that he had a good idea i mean it was it was put a cinder block on the car in reverse and let it run yeah. and run that and seems logical it, it seems like it then i realized that that wasn't going to work and my dad was going to be home soon and he was going to be really upset and I guess I inherited my dad's temper because then I just started kicking the crap out of the car and I just destroyed the car and, and it flew off out the back window into the woods and just wrecked. My dad came home and, and he, um, he, he beat me <laughs> and, uh, which is not funny. I mean, uh, sometimes you have to laugh through the pain. I guess. Um, I wasn't laughing then. I bet not. And then he had me arrested and uh, my friend went off to college and I spent the next about eight years in jail at my father's behest. What happened to your friend? He became successful, but he never visited me in jail. So anyway, I just remember that morning that he called me that I was sick. I had just heard this album for the first time. So this album actually has really, really bad memories for me. Should we get into this album? Yeah, let's let's do it. I, I think you know one thing that jumps out in me with this this album is the uh, the album cover. If people haven't seen it, yes. or don't remember it, it's the uh, two young girls with angel wings, kind of hugging each other. They're probably grandmothers now, which is kind of <laughs> depressing. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, they, they kind of look like Siamese twins, which oh, that may actually be. Uh, an offensive title now, uh, Siamese. Yeah, I don't know if that's like like if this was made in 2019, would it be called like conjoined dream versus Siamese? Probably. Dream? Yeah. yeah, a little bit culturally insensitive. Yeah. Little known fact: uh, this album was named after Chang and Ing Bunker from Mount Airy, North Carolina, who, who were the original Siamese twins. Wait, the original Siamese uh, twins? Original Siamese. What do you mean the original? Well, they were. Um, found in what was i guess then siam as kids and brought to be you know carnival acts all over the world i, I made up the part about the album actually inspiring <laughs> it but they are they these were in fact real people the quote unquote original siamese twins were these two um brothers obviously and uh they ended up settling in mount airy north carolina oh my marrying gosh. sisters they would share their bed with alternating wives are you are you serious i'm dead serious this is for real this is for real and they they ended up having something like 19 children there are hundreds if not thousands of their descendants now in in around north carolina is that a badge of honor or is it like to me i'm not sure i would be proud <laughs> just i'm actually so weird i'm actually a descendant <laughs> no you're not, no, I'm not. Oh. <laughs> but, no but um i mean actually i mean so my, my grandfather actually had a gentleman that worked with him for years whose last name is Bunker, and he was a, a like a great-grandson of Ng and Chang Bunker. And they're they're buried in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I know way more about Chang and Ng Bunker. I'm fascinated. Keep going. Um, uh, one of the brothers died. I uh, can't remember if it was pneumonia or something. But then the other one died you know, a couple hours, a few hours later. They, and they, were, they weren't really like 
connected like you would think you know, at the shoulder or at the hip or something. They had this almost fleshy band that connected their ab- abdomens. I, I need to see a picture they're, of these guys. They're, they're, um, it's pretty fascinating. But the fact that, yeah, that they fathered that many children together all over the, the, the southeast. Oh, my gosh. There they are. Yeah. I have seen a picture of them before. Mm-hmm. I did wonder, though, you know, if one of them died. The other one knew he would die not long after because they had thought about and and investigated whether they could separate them and at that time they were just doctors they were a little too worried about attempting that did they bury him in one coffin no i don't don't know i think they're i think they're side by side well we know they're side (laughs) by side (laughs) so so yes maybe it is one coffin (laughs) is there one headstone there is. A big one? Yeah. So they buried them together. They buried them together. That's nice. Yeah. There you go. History lesson for you. You really settled in on that word Siamese, didn't uh, you? <laughs> now let's move on to dream. Because <laughs> I recently read a book about dreams. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So it's 1993. Let's take a look at the landscape of music. Here are the top-selling albums of 1993. Spin Doctors? Are they in there? Yeah. In fact, I'm going to let you guess. Spin Doctors is number seven. Wow. Pocket full of kryptonite. Pearl Jam 10? Pearl Jam 10 is number eight. Okay. 1993. Oh, um, Throwing Copper by Live? No, that wasn't uh, out yet. That was 94, probably. 94, 95, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, number nine is Garth Brooks, The Chase. Uh, I mentioned eight and seven. Number six is Dr. Dre, The Chronic. Number five, our boy, Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, there he is. Some gave all. Number four, Janet Jackson, Janet. Number three, you will not be surprised by this, Eric Clapton, Unplugged. Oh, man. Won all those Grammys. God, it was huge. Brought him back around. Such a tearjerker. Man, way to capitalize on your son's death, (laughs) Eric. Everybody saw through that. Number two was Kenny G., breathless seriously yeah that was the number two selling album in 1993 which that title's terrible breathless get it because i play the saxophone so i'm out of breath because i've been playing so well for you yeah so i I actually played saxophone in like middle school and i didn't even catch that reference (laughs) (laughs) did you guys play pink panther God, I wish we had. That would have been awesome. I just remember my friend Doug played sax. It, it was like a big deal that he could play Pink Panther. <laughs> oh, man. I feel, I feel like I didn't fulfill my true potential. I mean, there aren't many popular sax solo songs. Not anymore. No. Not since the 80s. No. See ya. Uh, number one, The Bodyguard Soundtrack. Oh. That was with Whitney Houston's yeah. I Will Always Love You. Yep. No, excuse me. Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton's and I, I Will Always, always Love, love you. you. Performed by Whitney Houston. Yeah. That's an interesting... It's a weird year. The 90s were odd, folks. Kenny G at number two. Yeah. What's the G stand for? Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Get me out of here. Jerry Curl. <laughs> Geriatric. <laughs> Jerry Curl. That's J. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Oh. 
<laughs> so what do you do if you're smashing pumpkins and this is the landscape of music you're coming off of gish which is this heavy alternative but very indie album it's not metal Mm-mm. but it has the chops you know where if you decided to play metal that you could because mm-hmm. they're very good and then you come in and you want to make a mark first thing you do is you call it butch vig butch vig Butch Vig was the producer and engineer known most of all for producing Nevermind by Nirvana. Which is interesting because, you know, if you're feeling the pressure of being called like the next Nirvana and you've got unlimited you know, studio time and unlimited budget, you go, you go one of two ways. You either hire the guy who, who produced Nevermind or you... Right. You go the exact opposite way and say, no, we're going to do something completely different. They, probably with a lot of pressure, decided to go with Butch Vig, whose real name is Brian Vigerson. Yeah. Brian isn't grunge enough, but Butch. <laughs> that's the guy you want to produce that, your That albums. gives you chops. That's right. His name is Butch. Uh, did you know he also produced House of Pain, Jump what? Around? I did not know that. Maybe that's why they got him. Hey, I found this guy, Butch Vig. And somebody goes, oh, yeah, the guy who did Nirvana? What? I don't know. I just know that he did Jumping Around. Have you heard Have you heard that song? Is that, wait, <laughs> Jumping <laughs> Around. <laughs> Sorry. I got Bobby Brown on my mind with Humping Around. This was not Jumping Around. This is Jump Around, as I'm sure you know, if you've been to any sports bar ever. ever. I had no idea he produced Jump Around. Let's see what else Butch did. Brian. Brian. Yeah, let's see what else Brian did. His mom named him Brian? I'm going to call him Brian. (laughs) What did he produce? Okay, so he he actually produced Smashing Pumpkin's first album, Gish, as well. Nirvana's Nevermind. He did Soul Asylum. Hmm. They got big. U2. He did some U2, Depeche Mode. Wow, Butch Vig. And then he apparently fell off the face of the earth. No, I see the problem is he did corn. Ah. That sounds like a drug. He did corn. He did corn. A really cheap, cheap drug. Bad street corn. Yeah. That'll do it. So Butch Vig comes in. Billy Corgan's got a vision. Mm -hmm. He's got a vision for an album that's going to be unlike anything else. And it's going to have the biggest sound of any other album. It starts off with Chair Brock, which is a monster of an opener. Let's take a listen to that. And then to ask that eternal question, who wants that Heine? No. No, he's not talking about Heine. Uh, it sure sounds like it. <laughs> Is that what you thought in high school? I did. Actually, college. college yep. I was yeah. For for a while, I did think, well, man, he really likes Heine. <laughs> I like that he'd be cutting edge alternative to talk about sex, but he calls it Heine. <laughs> My mom might listen to this album, <laughs> so I got to say Heine. No, I know it's Heine. Overall, we love this album. We're gonna talk about some of the highlight tracks and the next highlight track would definitely be today which was their second hit that came out a few months later you could walk into any guitar center for the next 
probably five years, and what you would hear is this opening riff. Actually, anywhere over the next year, I feel like you could hear that song. That was a big hit. That was a huge hit. What was today about? The greatest day they've ever known. No, I walked right into that one. I should have known. That's a good question. So, oh, jeez. Okay. Apparently, I'm on Wikipedia, which we're sponsored by. It says, Corgan wrote the song about a day in which he was having suicidal thoughts. Huh. It's a feel-good hit. Yeah. That probably describes every song that Billy Corgan wrote, judging by the lyrics and just yeah. his general demeanor. Yep. It does seem to be pretty par for the course. Because that's the thing with a lot of these songs. Like, I'm more drawn in by the music and the melodies of the singing. I can't tell you that I always paid that close attention to the actual lyrics. So as I'm reading through the lyrics to today, you know, there's lines about, I wanted more than life could ever grant me, bored by the chore of saving face. That's pretty darn depressing. Yeah. But I've never paid that close attention. That guitar was so bright and shiny. That's what drew me in. That's what kept me there. So mm-hmm. that's all I wanted to know. So between those two, I mean, they, they already had huge hits and they had everyone buying this album. Let's talk about Hummer. Because of the font on the album, I never knew if it was Hummer or Bummer. Oh, yeah. Because he even says, life's a bummer. Yeah. But the, the, the last part of Hummer, to me, I mean, my, my favorite little riff on the album. Let's take a listen. That's one of my favorite parts of, of the, the album because to me that's a very Smashing Pumpkins sound of the loud and the layered guitars uh, you know, transition to very quiet, you know, pretty uh, guitar parts. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that stands out about this album is the loud, soft, loud. This is a very My Bloody Valentine and bands that do that really well. And that's one of the things that keeps them in the alternative stream rather than you know a grunge direction or metal or metal or something like that because they they would break off into these little melodies and so then you got rocket which if i understand correctly is a cover of a def leopard song (laughs) there was a def leopard song called rocket Rocket. wasn't there Yeah. yeah satellite of love my gosh <laughs> let's talk about disarm this was another hit they had 
I like this song a lot. It's also one of those songs that you don't know what he's talking about. And it's a little off-putting to hear him talking about cutting you or... I don't know. There's something weird about when he sings, I used to be a little boy. Yeah, that that seemed to be one of those lines that people would kind of like make fun of for some reason. Yeah, which there's a lot about Billy Corgan that people make fun of. This was a huge hit as well. Yeah, and again, he's sneaking all these Son of Sam lyrics in there. He's like, the killer in me is the killer in you. And we're all singing along because it's really like pretty and Cause, acoustic. Because it's got like a glockenspiel in it. It's okay to, to sing right. along. <laughs> yeah. Good grief, Billy Corgan. Yeah, a lot of people made fun of Billy Corgan. Have you heard about all the beef that he has with people? No. The band Pavement, mm-hmm. another 90s band. And one of the songs that Stephen Malcolmus, the lead singer of Pavement, wrote called Range Life, he throws shade at the, at the Smashing Pumpkins. Later, he claims he was just kind of making fun of their name, and it's a silly name. But Billy Corgan hung on to this. This is allegedly that he didn't let them on Lollapalooza when he when they headlined. And then even from there, a couple of years ago, he said that uh, they were selling out because they were coming back to play one of their albums again. And man, this guy hangs on to a grudge. He is not yeah. letting go. Yeah. Wow. So who knows? Maybe a lot of these songs are about these artists that don't like him yeah all right next one we're going to talk about is geek usa and you and i've talked about this one particularly for this wonder of a snare drum Mm -hmm. let's check this out Yeah, that's, that's something that really stands out to me with this whole album is, is the drums, the snare sound throughout this album, particularly on Geek USA and even on um, uh, Quiet, which is the second song. I don't think you really hear that with any other artist or any other album of that time. He's an incredible drummer all over this album. Mm-hmm. And apparently the recording was not that simple because of Chamberlain and his drug problem mm-hmm. which they went to georgia to get chamberlain away from his drug contacts because they couldn't even record with him constantly going on one two three day binges even then in georgia he had people showing up to get him out of the studio and it's like all right where's jimmy we're gonna do another take i don't know some pizza delivery guy just came and jimmy went with him you know <laughs> oh man and like two days later <laughs> he comes back Butch Fix said that Billy Corgan forced Jimmy Chamberlain to drum on Cherub Rock until his hands bled because he kept disappearing and they couldn't even. So. I, I would disappear too if I was having to drum till my hands bled. Yeah, good point. Kind of on Jimmy Chamberlain's side here. And he probably got addicted to painkillers because he was bleeding all the time and in such pain. That is on you, Brian Vickerson. <laughs> but I can't. I can't imagine how frustrated Billy Corgan must have been when every single time his drummer just disappears. Disappears. Yeah. yeah. And meanwhile, he doesn't care if James Eha and Darcy disappear because 
he didn't even let them play. He was playing all of their part. He's like, why aren't you the guys addicted to drugs? <laughs> and not the one I need. Not the one guy who can do the cool <laughs> snare part. Well, and then, you know, you look at the recording of this and you read that on Soma, I think it is, they layered 100 guitar parts. Oh, my gosh. Which is, it doesn't sound like it has 100 guitar parts. But, no. but some of these songs clearly sound highly layered with, you know, just oodles and oodles of, of guitar over top. You know, like we said before, the recording of this album went well past the, the deadline, went well over budget, I think by hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Because, you know, the pressure was on to, to create that masterpiece. Courtney Love says that all the songs on the album about her, except for Space Boy, which is about his brother. Courtney Love says it's about her because Courtney Love and Billy Corgan used to date. Really? Yeah. Pre-Kurt Cobain? Yeah. Wow. What is that relationship like? What would they do on a date? Like, it wouldn't be like a Kurt and Courtney kind of relationship where they would be like just so passionate and they'd fight. I think Billy would kind of cry and curl up in a fetal position and then slap Jimmy Chamberlain. <laughs> he would probably write poetry to her and she wouldn't give him the response that he wanted. So right. he would, I don't know. What slap Jimmy do. Chamberlain. He would slap Jimmy Chamberlain. All right. So Billy Corgan is primed and ready to slap you like your Jimmy Chamberlain. Mm. Unless you tell him which song needs to be removed from the album. So if you had to take an, a song off of this album, which one would it be? So this is a really, really good album from really start to finish. That's why we're talking about it. But if Billy Corgan was going to go full on Billy Corgan on me and make me remove a song, it would probably be Space Boy. Space Boy, I missed you. That's the song on the album uh, as I was listening to it again and, and reminiscing on this album. That's the part of the album where I started to lose interest, which is really unfair because the other three songs after it, which are the last three songs on the album, are, are to me really good, uh, solid songs. But you know, I think I think if you removed Space Boy, which would be too bad since that's apparently the only song that's not that's not about um, Courtney Love. Yeah. Um, but that that would be the one song I would remove, and I think the album would still hold up. What okay. about What about you? I think for me it was mayonnaise. Hmm. Yeah, I, as I was revisiting this album and listening to it, that was the one to me that just didn't stand out. But I, I do like the way the album ends, the way it sort of closes out with two softer tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, that That's really nice, especially with starting 
so heavy. Well, you know, mayonnaise to me, it's it's not my favorite song on the album, but to me, it's maybe uh, the most quintessential Smashing Pumpkins sounding song to me. Okay, because it's got, like you said, it's got the transition from heavy to quiet, and it's 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 got. I love the the use of the feedback in the in the guitar uh, with the song because it, it to me that it's this combination of really beautiful melodies with the edginess of the the feedback and apparently james eha helped him write that one well there you go he didn't get to play on the album but <laughs> he got some songwriting credit there you go royalties baby yeah still a tremendous album and and i also love again this is of its time but there were no lyrics printed in the the liner notes of the album but if you sent a dollar to them you could get a copy of the lyrics wow which is obviously very pre-internet that that was uh darcy and james eha's job in the band <laughs> xeroxing lyrics yeah <laughs> and then signing billy corgan's name to it. <laughs> right. oh billy for all your foibles we love this album this is a heck of an album for sure Well, we can't wait to visit another album soon here on Finest Work Songs. In the meantime, Matt, what should these fine folks be doing? Well, please, we always love to hear from folks. Send us uh, your thoughts and potential albums to review or talk about uh, at finestworksongs at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at finestworksongs. All right. We've got more music coming. If you got suggestions, like Matt said, send them in. And until next time, like Bobby Brown, we hope you keep humping around. Our theme song is by the incredible band Medium Heat. This track is called Radio. And you should check them out at mediumheat.bandcamp.com. And check out any upcoming shows if you are in the Raleigh area. They are on Facebook at Medium Heat Music. Did you know right away yes. what I said? <laughs> well, you, you kind of threw me when you said, like, when, when you reversed it, yeah. your camera. I was, I was going to ask you, like, so when he asked you, like, to go with him, what was your response? Yeah. If you'd be like, I'll go, I'll go, yeah. I'll go. <laughs> if he calling me. I, I should have added that in there. I should have just been like, and I just thought he'll call. call me. He's going to keep calling me. So I said, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. That was good.